0: The school is out, which means it's time for High Kids. Good afternoon and welcome to the High Kids Show. This is High Kids for Kids by Kids. My name is Renelle Silverstone and I am 12 years old and I am your host for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to 101.9 High FM and listening to the High Kids Show. Today I have an exciting show lined up for you. And to start off, I will be interviewing Mon- Monica Arajo. She is a genetic counselor and I have amazing fan- fun facts for you. And a short poem by Charles Silverstein. Get ready for a fire jam packed kids show on Hi Kids, For Kids, By Kids. You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 Hi FM. You are still listening to 101.9 Ghaik FM. Good afternoon, how are you? Hi, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, thank you. How's your ba- day been?
1: Been very good, thank you. Been very busy, but it's <laughs> nice to be on. it's been nice to see the, the inner workings of, of what you all do. So thank you, thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> well, it's our pleasure and it's an honor to have you in our studio today. Let's begin in, what is a genetic counsellor?
1: So genetic counselors are people that are have a master's level education, and we are specialized in the fields of genetics and counseling. And basically, our role is to work within the hospital system and to see patients that either themselves have a genetic condition or they have a family history of a genetic condition. And really, the role of a genetic counselor is to work with other healthcare professionals and to try and help these people or these families understand what the condition is, understand the risks associated with the condition, so are they at risk of having the condition, are they at risk of having children maybe with the condition, and also to help them understand about what this condition and this diagnosis means for them, for their families, for the extended family, so in genetics we always think about the person as well as their family because we share our genetic information. And then also to adapt and cope with what this means emotionally for them. So a lot of these conditions can have a lot of emotional and psychological impacts for these patients. And our job is to really help them understand and cope better with what this all means for them.
0: Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what does
1: genetic mean? So I think there's, there's two types of things that people think about when you think about the word genetic um, A lot of people at first glance Will think about genetic as something That's like hereditary That's something that's being passed down in the family I think we always hear the phrase oh, It must be in your genes Or you must have your mom's genes Because you look like her Or you look like your dad Or you share features from your parents And that's true We get our genetic information from both of our parents We get half from our mom and half from our dad but when we think about genetics, we can also think about the actual building blocks of who we are as people. So the information or the instructions that tells our bodies how to grow and how to work. And that really is it's it's the foundation of who we are as people and the way our bodies work.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
1: <laughs> and what does HPCSA stand for? So I did mention to you that I was, I was finishing off my internship for the HBCSA and that's the Health Professionals Council of South Africa. So anyone that's a health professional that needs to, um, you know, that works within the country has to be registered with the Health Professionals Council in order to be able to see patients within the country. Wow. It's a big thing. <laughs> it is. And I think it's, it's, it's a good way of regulating everyone so well done, um. thank you
0: <laughs> and what are you researching at the moment
1: so I think within the the setting that I work I work for the National Health Laboratory Service and we're based in Teen and our group our team does have a lot of research interests and a lot of Areas that we focus on, obviously we focus a lot on genetic conditions and understanding, you know, the genetic causes of a lot of conditions, but also the, the psychological sides of, of certain conditions. So currently we have a lot of exciting projects going on where we're learning more about albinism and the impact that albinism might have on mothers of children that have albinism and The psychological effects of the, of having a genetic condition. There has been research done by our colleagues looking at the quality of life of mothers who have children with genetic conditions. We've looked at the understanding of our colleagues in the field of do they understand what genetic counseling is? Do they know what we do and how we can help patients? So there's a lot of exciting and really innovative projects that are going on at the moment in our department wow that's I don't know what to say it's speechless <laughs> and
0: you me- you mentioned albinism mm-hmm. would you like to explain to our listeners what it is
1: yes yeah, so albinism is a is a genetic condition that is a result of the lack of formation of pigment or what we call melanin which is the pigment forming substance in our skin so often people with albinism have very light skin and it's because they don't have pigment being made in their skin and in their eyes and they and in their hair obviously so they appear to be a lot lighter in complexion compared to their parents or other family members and really what's important is that anybody can have a child with albinism. So anyone from any background can have children with albinism. Mm-hmm.
0: And can it happen to animals also?
1: Yes, I do think that they, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't know the genetics of it completely, but I, there definitely are animals that have, you hear about animals having albinism and I, I wouldn't know the, I guess the details <laughs> of it, yeah. but it, it's, it's definitely seen in animals that have very light fur and very light eyes. And I would assume it's a very similar process. Sounds so cute though. <laughs> <laughs> and what is the retina? So um, the retina, we spoke about this a bit earlier, but it's a layer of cells at the back of the eye, and this layer of cells is really sensitive to light, and the retina is something that we learn a lot about or know a lot about in genetics because there are certain genetic conditions that can affect the retina and how the retina works, and there are some conditions where people can lose function of all or part of their retina, and as a result, lose vision. And it's something that we obviously have to know about and know how to explain to our patients. So whenever we have conditions like this, we try and keep our explanations very simple and easy to understand.
0: Hmm. Wow. And what is genetic disorder? like? What can you get it from and what is it?
1: Okay, so I spoke about genetics being that information that we receive from our parents. It's a set of instructions that tells our bodies fr- right from the beginning how our bodies are going to grow and how they're going to form and how they're going to work. So the idea is that when you have a genetic disorder, it's because there seems to be a change or a fault In that genetic information that you have inherited from your parents and it could be because it's a it's a fault that has been passed down in the family where one of your parents had it and they've passed it on to you or it could be something that has really happened for the first time in a in an individual where their parents weren't affected and obviously because of that fault or that change in the genetic information their body doesn't grow the way it's expected to grow, doesn't behave the way it's expected to behave. And that's when you see certain genetic conditions.
0: Huh. I and hope that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and how can you predict that you have one?
1: So I think it's different in different situations. I think if you know that you have a family history of a genetic condition, like We spoke about the albinism. If you know that you have people in your family with albinism, it would be something that you would keep an eye out for. Sometimes genetic conditions happen for the first time, like I said, in somebody, and it's less obvious, so you wouldn't know necessarily to go and look for it. But that's really where genetic counselors and our our colleagues, medical geneticists, who are doctors that are specialized in genetic conditions, that's where we occupy that space within the medical field is that they are trained, our doctors are trained to identify individuals that have certain characteristics or features that when you look at them provide clues or ideas that this could be something that's actually a genetic condition. And then our doctors and our genetic counselors really understand what would be the most appropriate course of action. Do we do genetic testing what genetic testing do we do? So they really are the specialists in that field, and and that's why it's so important that other healthcare professionals, and other doctors treating these patients, refer them to the genetic counsellors and to the medical geneticists, so that they can get the most appropriate care, and that someone can recognise that it, this is a genetic condition, and how can we, you know, figure it out?
0: Wow, really interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. And how early will you, are you able to predict you ha- can get a disease or, like, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think it's, again, I'm going to say it's so different in, in different situations. I think if you know if you have a family history of a certain condition, you could potentially be tested once you know the family history of the condition. I think it's different when there's a condition that is in the family and you want to test a pregnancy for it there are certain tests that can be done at different points within a pregnancy and obviously that depends on you know what the condition is if there is testing available for it and when in your pregnancy you would like to pursue different types of testing so you really could test anyone at any age provided you know what you're looking for kind of thing but the important thing is that it's the person's choice so if a mother wants to t- test a pregnancy for example it's it's her choice to decide whether or not she would want to pursue that kind of testing but because we know that genetic errors or genetic faults are there when that baby is being formed right from the beginning that genetic information has that fault right from the beginning. So you could really test whenever appropriate.
0: Wow. And how would you be able to heal a genetic disorder or any disease or something?
1: So I think the difficulty with genetic conditions and what we understand about genetic conditions is, like I've just said, that that genetic fault is passed on from parent to child or happens when that baby is first first being formed so that error is part of that person's genetic makeup so every cell in their body has that genetic fault in it so for many genetic conditions all we can do or all we offer is treatment or symptomatic treatment and treatment based on what they present with so we can help manage the condition better and try and allow people to, or individuals that have genetic conditions to have the best kind of care. But it's not always something that is as easy as saying we can cure it because it's within our genetic information.
0: Yeah. Sad though. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And... I read somewhere that there are three novel genes. What is a
1: novel gene? So I think it's, it's in whatever context you're looking at it really. The, something novel obviously means that it's new. So when we talk about a novel gene, it might be that it's a newly discovered gene or a gene that, you know, may have been known but didn't really understand what, why we were Looking at that gene, or what role it played in the body. So that's what I would assume we're talking about with the novel gene.
0: Hmm, wow well, I am learning a lot about this, and after the song, we will learn more. You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 Hi FM. My name is Ranelle Silverstone, and I'm your host for today. So thank you so much for listening to our Hi Kids show. The guest the song challenge for today is <laughs> And if you know the answer you can SMS us on three four five one nine. Let's carry on with our interview with Monika. If you have any questions for her, you can send them on our line three four. Five one, nine. I'm sure she would be delighted to answer them. Before we carry on, our second animal fact of the day is, did you know that crocodiles cannot stick their tongues out? I guess we humans are lucky. I mean, how else would we be able to lick our ice creams? <laughs> Alright, let's carry on.
1: What is DNA? So, DNA is... Deoxyribose nucleic acid And our DNA is What we call our genetic Information so that Is the information inside Our cells that has these Instructions that we've been talking about That tells our bodies how to function
0: Wow that's cool (laughs) (laughs) And what is RNA?
1: So RNA Is a different type of genetic Information it's ribonucleic acid And um It also carries a set of instructions that also has a function within our cells. So both DNA and RNA encode certain instructions and information that help our bodies work by allowing certain processes in our cells to function properly.
0: And what is the purpose of RNA if we already have DNA?
1: So I think it, it occupies a different role and... RNA encodes certain instructions that DNA doesn't encode. So they have two different jobs, really, but do quite similar things in that they both tell our bodies to do something and tell our cells to work in a certain way.
0: And then why do we have a cell, then, if we have those things?
1: (laughs) So the cell is really the house of where all of these things are. So if we have to think about... The cell is being a house, then the DNA is housed in one of the rooms of that house and the RNA is housed elsewhere in the house. So it's important that we have an area where all that genetic information and functions within our body, certain processes, things need to be made and our body needs to be able to use them. And the cell is really the unit where all these things are taking place. So a very busy household basically. Wow.
0: (laughs) And how many cells do we have? Or is it unpredictable?
1: I definitely couldn't give you a solid number, but we have millions and millions, (laughs) yes. So lots of cells. Our, Our entire body is made up of cells, and we have different types of cells in different places of our body. So obviously we have skin cells, and we have cells in our eyes that occupy a different function, and we have hair cells. So there's different types of cells, and they all have different roles to play well mm-hmm.
0: someone once told me that every 10 well not 10 seconds but every time a few, in every one second a 10 cells or more you know fall mm-hmm. off is that
1: true i think we do lose cells at quite a fast rate um you can certainly see it if you have to jump in a bath and just scrub your skin you can see that your dead cells always fall off and really that is that is the, <laughs> the the role of our body is to make cells those cells are, have a function and then those cells die off mm-hmm.
0: wow cells are very important <laughs>
1: I'd, i would say so too
0: are cells like living things because they you said cells are everywhere in like everything mm-hmm. but then how come if they're living things and they're like in a wall. Mm-hmm. How come the wall's not living?
1: This is a, this is a very uh, philosophical I think, <laughs> type of question more than anything. But when we think about the cells in our body, the cell is what we call the basic unit of life. So our cells fulfill certain functions which allow us to live and to, um, you know, exist in a way that that you know we can survive and and look after ourselves in the sense of our bodies are actually working properly so yes regards to the cells in the wall (laughs) we'll have to ask a philosopher about but I definitely think that the cell is what we we rely on as our basic unit of life it does its job so we can do ours
0: yeah Well, maybe if someone is listening here as a philosopher, you know the answers, (laughs) message it in. (laughs) All right. What is the mitochondrion?
1: Okay, so I explained to you that the cell is like our house, and you have to think of our house as having many different rooms. The mitochondrion is one of the, I'd say one of the rooms within the cell that is regarded as the powerhouse of the cell. So the, the mitochondria creates energy for the cell to allow the cell to perform its functions.
0: Wow. And what about the nucleus?
1: So the nucleus is that room where our DNA is stored. So basically all DNA functioning happens within the nucleus. It's, it's where the DNA is stored and it's where DNA is replicated and copied and sort of the central hub of where all our genetic information has its role to play
0: So you said that our cells do fall off
1: mm-hmm. and
0: we have several layers of skin, mm-hmm. how come those layers don't come off every single time they fall off?
1: Because I think once those cells are living and, and actually performing a function they're all sort of stuck together our cells are like bonded to each other and once cells die off and we scrub them, I mean, obviously the upper layer of skin is really at, at the surface level, but our cells are held together and there's many different proteins and substances that hold our cells together. Otherwise we wouldn't be all together ourselves <laughs> either. So it's, it's important that when cells die off that they're sort of you know, they can leave us and then we have new cells. Mm-hmm. Oh.
0: And what is the difference between oxygen, carbon dioxide, hydrogen and nitrogen?
1: So that was <laughs> a, that was a fun question. <laughs> um, so let's go with each. I mean, oxygen is something, it's oxygen is a, is a molecule. So it's a substance that exists in the air that our body uses. To breathe. So we breathe in oxygen and that oxygen is important for our cells to function. So we use that oxygen to create energy to allow the cell to work. Carbon dioxide is normally a byproduct of making all that energy for our cells. And that's what we breathe out. Nitrogen is also something that exists in the air and often is sort of released into the air through plant species. And then we also have what was the other one? <laughs> um, Hydrogen. Yeah. Which also exists in the air. So they're all molecules and they have a role to play. Our body uses some of them and doesn't use others. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: what does HO2 stand for and why, why does it?
1: Is it H2O? Yep, yeah. I think it is. Sorry. <laughs> H2O <laughs> That's my fault. is water. Basically the H refers to hydrogen and the O refers to oxygen. So for every molecule of water, you have two hydrogens and one oxygen and that makes up water.
0: Hmm. Wow. But how come it has a special scientific name?
1: Because it's a, it's like an index for people that are, that deal with chemistry and those kinds of things, I guess, to be able to figure out how would you make water. It's a very short recipe. Two hydrogens and an oxygen, and you can make yourself a molecule of water. Hmm. So I think that's a special name. But to run around and say H2O might be a bit difficult, and <laughs> you've decided to call it water instead.
0: Yeah. And how does a person determine that the next like, person is their brother or sister using hair, skin, blood, a cell?
1: <laughs> so it's quite a... I think it's quite an involved test, and I definitely say that our colleagues um, that work within that realm of of family testing and paternity testing and all of that might be able to give you more information. But basically, we use regions of genetic information. I explained to you earlier that we share our genetic information. With our parents, obviously, we get half of our genetic information from our mom and half from our dad. And our siblings as well would get half from our mom and half from our dad. So we would assume that as siblings, you would share a lot of your genetic information and you would share the genetic information with your parents. So then it becomes quite easy in a way to look at certain regions of your genetic information and compare them and say, okay, you and I share a lot of our genetic information. We might be siblings versus me and someone else that doesn't share any genetic information. We might not be. So it's quite a complicated, I've, I've really explained it very simply, but yeah. it's, it's that concept of com- comparing genetic information. Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. And what
1: is diffusion? We're, we're jumping from genetics to biology today. Yep. So <laughs> diffusion is basically the movement of certain particles so we can think of particles as being molecules from where there are many of them to where there are very few of them. So, on what we call a gradient. So, from many to few until there's what we call equilibrium.
0: Okay. Um. What is the membrane and the chromosome?
1: Okay. So, a membrane is the cell membrane. So, that's basically... We we're talking about the cell being the house. The membrane is the outside of the house, basically. It's what encloses everything in the cell and keeps it all in there. And the membrane is also really special in that it allows for transport of some subs- substances into and outside of the cell. Chromosomes are a bit different in that chromosomes are a way in which our DNA or our genetic material is packaged. So as humans, we all have or we all should have 46 chromosomes, okay, 23 pairs. So 23 from mom and 23 from dad. But basically our chromosomes is just DNA that's packaged in a specific way. And normally we can see our chromosomes under a microscope.
0: What about the ribosome? I don't know if I, how do you ribosome. pronounce it. Yes.
1: <laughs> okay, so the ribosome is uh, a type of RNA that's in the cell and the ribosome allows for the production of certain substances like proteins within the cell. So the ribosomes really help convert our messages from our DNA into actual substances like proteins.
0: And how do you replicate
1: DNA? So DNA replication occurs naturally in our bodies. I said to you that cells need to make more copies of themselves when some die off. So DNA is replicated. But we obviously have the, op- the opportunity to replicate DNA within the lab. So there are certain techniques and certain ways of using enzymes and lots of scientific equipment and stuff like that to copy DNA that we get. And you can replicate it and make more. But basically, it reads the DNA and makes more copies of it. Special enzymes.
0: <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. I know I have learned a lot today. And I am very happy about it. And I think everyone else listening to also le- learned a lot about this. This has been Hi Kids, 4 Kids, By Kids. My name is Renal Silverstone and I am 12 years old. Thank you so much to my producer Senna and DJ Flo for pushing the big red buttons. Thank you so much for listening to Hi Kids, a show for kids. Bye kids. Join us next week, Monday, for another Hi Kids show, only on 101.9 Hi FM. Goodbye kids, Shabbat Shalom!